Hello, New Life. My name is Pastor Matt. I am the next-gen pastor here, and I am excited and thrilled that I get an opportunity to share from, with you today as we continue our series on metaphors of the church. But before I begin, I just wanted to take a quick moment to share some really happy news from myself and my wife, Natalie. This fall, in October, actually, we are expecting the arrival of our first child, and we could not be more excited. Um, what a time to bring a child into the world. Um, we, we look forward to your prayers and your support as we raise our baby here at New Life, which is very, very exciting to me. But we're in the middle of a series, as you guys know, on, a, on, a, on met metaphors of the church. We find these sayings throughout the New Testament, and today we're going to look at the church as the citizens of heaven. There's so much about this metaphor that can shape our understanding of the church and the role that we as Christians play in the world. So let's look together where we find this metaphor in the book of Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3, 17 to 20 says this, Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We love you. We worship you. God, I thank you that we have your word to guide us and to lead us in the way of what it looks like to live as a citizen of heaven while we reside here on the earth. God, would you convict us of the things we need to be convicted of? Would you give us wisdom where we need it so we can navigate this world a little bit better? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So let's talk about citizenship for a moment. See, citizenship is something that I often take for granted. It could be said that it's part of my privilege that I can live without thinking about it. After all, I live where I was born, and I've never wanted to live, nor have I considered living anywhere else. In fact, there is only one place that I have ever been aware of my citizenship, and that's at the airport. See, when I'm at the airport, there's, a, there's usually a line, one for U.S. citizens and one for non-citizens. And last year, I went to a wedding in Canada, and when it was time to fly back, I was suddenly keenly aware of my citizenship and, the, and what it would allow me when I saw the line for U.S. citizens was way shorter than the line for non-citizens. And so I was able to breeze through the whole process because of my U.S. citizenship. And that's the thing about being a citizen of a particular place. There are certain rights and privileges that come with it. In many ways, our values are shaped by the places we call home and pledge our loyalty and allegiance to. And this is what Paul was writing about in the book of Philippians in this particular section. And he uses this phrase, citizens of heaven, to describe the church and we're going to talk more about that today. He says in verse 20, But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Now, before we get into what he means by citizens of heaven, it's really important that we take a look at who he was writing to and why he was writing to them. Paul's writing to the church in Philippi, which at the time was a major city, but it was also a Roman colony. And the city had in some ways become a miniature version of Rome. They were governed by the same principles and laws. The city had many of the same cultural values and religious practices as the supreme city of the empire, which was Rome. 
The people have pledged allegiance to Rome and its citizens were granted the rights and privileges that came with being citizens. And this was a source of pride for the people in Philippi. They weren't just some ordinary city. They were citizens of the greatest empire the world had ever known. They had the best military, the best government, the best economy. They were the most powerful force on the face of the earth. And it's against this backdrop that Paul is writing because Rome is invading the city with it and shaping the people. And he's reminding the church that their values are defined by something different entirely. They're citizens of heaven. But what does this mean? I came across this definition from Dr. Tony Evans in his book, Kingdom Citizen, and I want you to keep this in mind as we move forward today. He says, a citizen of heaven is a visible, verbal follower of Jesus Christ who consistently applies the principles of heaven to the concerns of the culture. I want to read that one more time for you. A citizen of heaven is a visible, verbal follower of Jesus Christ who consistently applies the principles of heaven to the concerns of the culture. Dr. Evans has put things in in order for us and in some ways providing a bit of commentary on what Paul outlines in the passage of scripture we're looking at today. In verse 17, Paul writes, Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. Paul encourages the Philippian church to model their lives after his, but please don't mistake this for vanity or his ego getting away with him. He's saying, I want you to follow me as I follow Jesus. Follow me as I follow Jesus. Watch how I do it. He tells them, I want you to look at others who have already started to live this way and have already started to do it and learn from their example. He's pointing to good examples of what it looks like to be a citizen of heaven. And this is not really all that different from what we do when we open the scriptures and we we look for examples from Paul and from the apostles, from the early church in the book of Acts and the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11, or from our ultimate and supreme example, Jesus Christ himself, as we learn what it means to walk with God and be the people of God. We need good examples. We need to be able to learn from those who've gone before us us, especially during times like we are living through today where problems seem rampant. You know, part of the reason Paul is writing to this church is because there was a problem in Philippi, and he addresses a couple of those problems in verse 18 and 19. It says, for I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite, they brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. As I was reading this, I was really surprised to to, to realize who Paul is talking about in these verses. He mentions these people and their conduct. He says what they do shows who they really are and what they really value. See, it's easy to think about what he's talking about and, and immediately bring to mind people outside the church. Instead, he's actually talking about people inside the church, people who have professed Jesus with their mouths and they go out and live a lifestyle that communicates something differently, different entirely. These are people who've heard the message of Jesus. They've claimed to have accepted it and they live like it doesn't matter. They live like it has no impact on their lives. And Paul says their appetite is their God and he's not talking about food. 
These are people who will do anything and everything they want when they want. They're driven by their desires. The message of the cross bothers them because right at its core is a message of self-denial and elevating one's neighbor above themselves. The words of Jesus in Matthew 16 tell us that if anyone, if any of you wants to to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. These are people who want the benefits of salvation without the surrender to Jesus. They want salvation with no interest in transformation. And Paul knows the danger that these people pose to the church. In essence, what they've done is taken the culture and applied it to the gospel. Their values are shaped more by the culture than they are by heaven. They might be saying all the right things, but all they're thinking about and living for is their life here on earth. Now, let's fast forward together a few thousand years from Paul writing to the early church to looking at where we are today. We are living in a highly influential culture that is always speaking, shaping, discipling, and crafting people into its own image. We live in a time where truth is subjective, morality has been redefined, and everything about a person is open for debate. We live in a time where there are people whose actual job title is influencer. Influencer. They're telling you, this is what I do, and we eat it up. Social media provides us with windows into the lives of others and unfettered access to the culture and its messages. It's against this backdrop that we can read the words from Paul. There are people in the church today whose values are shaped more by the culture than they are by the kingdom. We've confused and we've conflated our identity as citizens of heaven with our residency on earth. There are many that want the benefits of salvation without Jesus' call to give up our lives so we can follow him. I'm reminded of an old blues song lyric by Albert King. He says, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. I challenge you to just take a look at what's happening around the country right now surrounding this election season. Politically, there is so much division and almost everything has become politicized. From a virus to masks, medicines, human rights, money, and right at the center of all of it seems to be the church. The church in America has aligned itself in some cases more with building an empire of man than it is with building the kingdom of God. The church wants to have our values legislated. We want people in office that are going to uphold our moral ethic. In some sense, we're looking to pass the buck or so that we can make our lives easier. We want salvation by government. We want salvation for the culture, and we want our salvation from the culture. We're trying to force God's hand, God's will, and his way into a political box that we dress up as Christian advocacy. To quote our lead pastor, Rich Velotis, on Twitter, who we give a follow if you don't, when Christians are more conversant around partisan talking points than the Sermon on the Mount, we demonstrate that our Christianity is secondary and a servant to our politics. Now, to be clear, my suggestion is not that you go out and memorize every line in the Sermon on the Mount, though that probably wouldn't be a bad thing. It is instead that the principles that Jesus outlined in the greatest sermon ever preached and then lived should serve as a guide for us as we move through the world. We've gotten away from the gospel and made it secondary to our nationalism, our patriotism, our capitalism, and all the other isms out there. 
The gospel mandate for care, to care for the poor, to the marginalized and the oppressed has become the job of someone else. We don't know how to disagree without dividing. We've lost our sense of community and belonging to each other, and we focus far too much on an individual, personal relationship with Jesus. So you see, we may not be denying Jesus with our words, but our actions, our decisions, what we've accepted and allowed, how we've tried to adapt the gospel to fit the culture, suggests that we are shaped more by the earth and its values than we are by heaven. And that, according to Paul, will only lead to destruction. And he's not the only one who saw it that way. In 1956, Dr. King read an imaginary letter that he wrote from Paul to Christians in America. And I want to share just this one section with you. American Christians, I must say to you, as I said to the Roman Christians years ago, be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Or, as I said to the Philippian Christians, you are a colony of heaven. This means that although you live in the colony of time, your ultimate allegiance is to the empire of eternity. You have a dual citizenry. You live both in time and eternity both in heaven and earth. Therefore, your ultimate allegiance is not to the government, not to the state, not to the nation, not to any man-made institution. The Christian owes his ultimate allegiance to God. And if any earthly institution conflicts with God's will, it is your Christian duty to take a stand against it. You must never allow the transitory, evanescent demands of man-made institutions to take precedence over the eternal demands of the Almighty God. We cannot allow temporary things that will pass away to overtake the eternal demands of the Almighty God. So Dr. King takes these words of Paul and brings them forward to his time, and it's a time that's not all that much different from our own. And his word that our ultimate allegiance is not to any man-made institution, but to God, echoes the words of Paul that our primary citizenship is in heaven. And I want to go back to the definition I shared with you earlier. A citizen of heaven is a visible, verbal follower of Jesus Christ who consistently applies the principles to heaven to the concerns of the culture. In other words, we are more concerned with God's rule, his plan, and his program than we are with anything else. To quote Dr. Evans once again, we are, he says, we are called to come together under God's overarching agenda. Then the world will have to deal with the strength of the church of Jesus Christ. See, to be, uh, to be citizens of heaven is to make heaven and its values our highest priority. It means that our heavenly citizenship overrides any other citizenship that we have. It means that our, our heavenly citizenship becomes our primary citizenship. It means that we live according to the values of heaven and we apply those values, those beliefs, those convictions, those instructions to our lives here and now. See, we are citizens of heaven while residents of the earth. Imagine if the world had to deal with a church that lived and talked like the kingdom of God and his glory were our highest priority. That's when the church is at its strongest. That's when the church is a force in the world, and that's when heaven starts to walk around in our cities. See, the church is not just a place to hear sermons and sing songs. God didn't establish the church to make us feel good. He established it to push back against the, the gates of hell by creating 
kingdom disciples who live out their citizenship in heaven right here on the earth. The church exists as the place where the values of, of, of heaven operate here and now so that humanity sees what God looks like when heaven is at work on the earth. See, it's not our job to adopt the culture or to merely, merely critique it. Our job is to set heaven loose in the culture so the world can see what God looks like. Our purpose is to collectively be those who help in the transformation of society. And this is not going to be done by any politician, no matter their party affiliation. Now, to be clear, there's nothing wrong with being proud of your country or voting from a place of conviction for a particular candidate. It's just that these things aren't the most important things. And when they override our commitment to Christ, we've, we've ventured into idolatry. We have to realize that the greatest force for change in the world is not how we vote. It's how we live out our heavenly citizenship. It's not how we advocate for party, but it's how we advocate for the kingdom of God. This only happens when the people of God live out our calling and our purpose to apply the values of heaven to our lives on earth. Being a citizen of heaven means that we pledged our ultimate allegiance and our loyalty to Jesus. So what does this look like? What does it look like when the church is living like heaven is our home? It means that we follow the example we see in scripture. Paul gives us one in verse 18. He's, we see him crying over the people who he says are enemies of the cross. He has compassion for them because he realizes that they're headed for destruction. He's not mocking them. His heart is breaking for them. As citizens of heaven, our hearts should break for the world around us. Our hearts should break for the people we know that are lost. We care for the poor and for the marginalized and for the oppressed. We look to the word of God for wisdom and conviction as we navigate the issues of the world we're living in. It means that we're prayerful as we walk into the voting booth knowing that no matter who we vote for, they will not fully embody the values of the kingdom of God. It means that we're loving and we extend grace even to those we disagree with. We seek and extend forgiveness to people we are in conflict with. It means we're called to live in such a way that a watching world is stirred to jealousy over the community that they see existing among us and all they want to do is find a way in. It means that we stand up for justice in the face of injustice in our world. It means that we spend time with God in prayer, in silence, in worship, and in his word. It means that we trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to make any of these things real in our lives. It means that we learn more about our faith and apply its truths to our daily lives. And we proclaim the good news of, about Jesus with our words and by the way that we live. It means we proclaim Christ with our finances, our service, our entertainment, our prayer, our passions, our goals, and our very lives. As a citizen of heaven, we are called to live out our faith in a way that glorifies God and draws others into a relationship with him. So how can any of us do this? <clears throat> I'd like to suggest three ways to you today. The first one is this. We can engage the culture through the lens of the gospel and not the other way around. See, no matter what we do, our job is to bring glory to God and point others to him as well. What would happen if we started to pass more of our choices through a gospel filter? 
Like, I wonder how different our lives would be if we lived that way. How different our social media comments would be if we passed all of them through a gospel filter before we clicked post. How different would our interactions with people we disagree with be if we passed that through the gospel? The best way that we can start to live as citizens of heaven is to engage the culture through the lens of the gospel. The second thing is this. Get connected to the life of the church. See, church is the place where we come together with other like-minded citizens of heaven so we can encourage each other and be equipped to live like heaven is our home. There's more to your church than just a service on Sundays. See, our, our building might be closed, but our church is very much open. There are small groups happening all over our city. There are Bible studies and courses taking place. There are summer parties and evangelistic outreaches going on. We can get involved in these things. I can tell you one particular area that we're in. In our next-gen ministry, we need people to step up and be committed to discipling young people to help them see what it looks like to live as a citizen of heaven as they navigate these very troubling times that we're living in. We can, if we get connected to our local faith community, it gives us a great opportunity to live out our heavenly citizenship. And lastly, the one thing that every citizen, heavenly citizen has in common is Jesus. The Bible says that he's the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only one. He is the one who holds the keys to our heavenly citizenship. And he died on the cross so that we could have relationship with him. There are some of you watching today that need to take that first step into relationship with him. And there's no time like now so you can start living out your heavenly citizenship while we all await for his return as our savior. And as I close today, I want to leave you with just this one question. If you were to examine your own life, would you find that you're living on earth like a citizen of heaven? Or do you find yourself being shaped by the culture and thinking only about your life here on earth? God desires for us to live each day to its fullest as a citizen of heaven. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you've opened up the doors of heaven to us. We thank you that you, by your spirit, empower us to live today as citizens of heaven navigating the world. I pray that we can be bright, shining examples of what it looks like to live like heaven is our home right now today. I pray that you would convict us of the ways that we're allowing the culture to shape us. I pray that you would help us see clearly how you want us to move through the world. I pray that we would be unashamed and unafraid and ready to bring heaven here to the earth. We thank you that you welcomed us into your, into your family, into your holy city. We thank you that you have declared us citizens of heaven. God, I pray that you would help us live into that every day. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So look, if you, if this message was hard for you to hear, 
then join the club. It's hard for all of us to hear. And it's hard for us to hear the truth. And what Pastor Matt so eloquently shared with us is that we need each and every one of us, me, you, we collectively, need to make sure that our priorities are in order. We wanna make sure that we are living examples as citizens of heaven. These are the times, these are trying times. These are the times where we want to say to God, help us, mold us, show us what needs to be changed in our lives so that we can be examples and show people God in flesh walking the earth today. And so one thing I want to encourage you, we're about, you know, in the next few weeks, um, we are entering a hugely divisive political season. And it's really difficult to figure out what does it look like to be a citizen of heaven at a time like this. And so this fall, there's gonna be a workshop, the second part of a workshop on faith and politics. And that's a good opportunity for a lot of you out there to just figure out what does it look like to be a citizen of heaven and a citizen of our country? What does it look like to walk this out in the way that Jesus would call us to walk it out? So you wanna keep an eye out for that. I want to invite you all to uh, stay tuned. After this service, we have a virtual lobby where you can sit and you can talk to some of our pastors. We also have virtual prayer. And don't be afraid to come and pray with somebody about this. If you want someone to agree with you and stand in agreement with you, that God will transform your life, your actions, your speech, your attitude on social media, he can do that. So just step in and have somebody to pray for you. Also, as Pastor Matt said, if you hear in this message a call to accept Christ, we want to invite you to text yes to Jesus. Just text that, text that number on your screen. One of our pastors will be in touch with you in the next 24 hours, and you can take that first step to be a citizen of heaven. Amen. So please, let's just hold out your hands. I want to pronounce a blessing over all of us as we go forward. So brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may God bless you. May his face shine upon you. May he bring you peace even in the midst of trial, confusion, swirling about you continuously. May the peace of God rest on you. May others see the peace of God in you. And may you be an example of a citizen of heaven here on earth today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great day.